0: Hello and welcome to The Activist Podcast brought to you by Vegan FTA, vegan for the animals. I am your host Gareth Skurr and I will be joined by my wonderful co-host and wife Jackie Norman. In this episode we have the wonderful Serena Farb. Serena is a scientist and educator using her knowledge and talents to educate and empower future generations to think critically and to ultimately create change born and raised vegan serena has a lot of great tips for families wanting to raise their children vegan and also insights into what it's like being raised differently to the mainstream culture we hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did and be sure to check out our social media pages at vegan fta on instagram facebook and youtube where you can also find this series in video format
1: we are so excited to talk to you today not least because you are the first adult we have come across who has literally being born vegan. So um, can you tell us a bit about yourself for our viewers and um, how you have been raised as vegan from day one?
2: Yeah, so I am incredibly lucky that it was actually my mother who she had a job as a microbiologist in the Midwest in the US um, here. And part of her job took her into like factory farms, chicken hatcheries and animal testing facilities. And what she saw, and that was, you know, around 1990-ish, led her to go vegan and not want her food choices to contribute to that. And she just decided when she saw, like, she was sort of one of the only people that made that change out of what she saw and basically asked, when I have kids, what can I do to help them be people that will stand up when they see an injustice and not just look away and continue participating in this um so she decided then that she wanted to raise her kids vegan um and when i was born a few years later that's what happened it's awesome that's very cool
0: yeah hearing some of your stories um from like your youtube channel and some like the articles and stuff you've been in it certainly doesn't sound like you've suffered, though, from, uh, from growing up vegan. In fact, quite the opposite. You know, In fact, um, when you were seven years old, your parents actually gave you the option as well, apparently, to um, whether you want to continue to be vegan or not. Um, what did that choice mean to you at that age?
2: Yeah, So, and I want to just clarify. They didn't give me the choice to be vegan or not, and it was not framed that way. Um, it was just framed as up until that point, they'd been controlling my food choices as any parent does. Um, You know, like, and it it went beyond veganism. Like we also tried to eat a pretty healthy diet. I didn't eat things that had like artificial colors in them. Um, We, you know, tried not to do a ton of sugar. So just as any kid at a small age is like, hey, mom, dad, like, can I eat this? Or, you know, I just always asked as a kid. And so when I turned seven, they basically said, You know, we think you're old enough to make those decisions for yourself. So it wasn't like you don't have to stay vegan. Um, It was just like, you know, mom and dad have been deciding if you're at a party, whether you get to eat that or not, we're going to let you decide. But to do that, I basically had to, um, I had a stack of note cards with every ingredient that I might see on a label that uh, you know, like casein or whey or milk powder, any of these, you know, little things you see on the labels that aren't vegan, plus all of the other things at that time that we didn't eat, and I had to then be able to read the word and then explain what they were, how they were made, and why we didn't eat them. And once I knew basically why my parents had been making the decisions they had for me, then I was allowed to make educated decisions on my own about what I ate. Um, And all it really did for me is it helped me feel like I was in charge of what I was doing. So when kids or other peers would say, oh, well, why can't you eat that? Or, you know, something like that. I'd go, oh, I can eat it. I choose not to eat it because I don't want to hurt animals.
1: That's so awesome. That's a brilliant way of just uh, dealing with it all. And, yeah, I'm sure, you know, would be heaps of other parents watching this be thinking, what a great idea, you know? So um, it's fantastic. And looking at you, you look so healthy. Can't detect any signs of protein deficiency or, you know, anemia or anything like that. Yep. <laughs> um here in New Zealand you know that we're in the dairy capital of the world and so um you know there's a massive focus on needing milk for strong bones um and you know you your story proved that too I mean as a child you uh you competed in gymnastics and um Uh did really well you know and yet you were one of the few that never broke a bone never had any issues at all never got injured you know Um, was there any discussion between you and your teammates, um, or among parents as to why you never had any issues? Did any of them make that sort of connection? I don't know
2: that anyone, you know, and people don't really notice the people who aren't getting injured. They just notice the people that do. (laughs) Um, and it was just, you know, when you're in competitive gymnastics and I did it for about seven years the thing that ends a lot of gymnast careers is a bad injury. Even you know, at 10, 11, 12 years old, if you're you know, progressing up the ranks and then you get a really bad injury that gets you out of training for six months or a year, you fall way behind. Um, and I wasn't at like a super high level, um, but I was doing stuff that an injury would have you know, held me back. And I saw lots of other people who were out of training for a year who had these injuries, broke bones. Um, and I didn't, I don't remember anyone really discussing it. I remember doctors more um, when my sister and I were small being very concerned that we were gonna be calcium deficient. Um, and you know, even like wanting to run tests on us getting the blood work back and then like literally looking shocked going, you're not like your calcium numbers are great. <laughs> like we really thought you were gonna be calcium deficient, you know? Um, so I remember doctors being shocked about that. I don't really remember talking about the the health stuff with peers um, or what other parents might've thought.
1: Yeah. It's, it's funny about the calcium thing, isn't it? I mean, I was uh, literally just talking to a, a vegan lady yesterday. Um, we were just talking about unexpected health benefits and things like that of going vegan. And she's someone who struggled the whole time with um, brittle bones and fractures. And she had a fracture in her foot that wouldn't heal. And she went vegan and her calcium levels raised. Um, and the the fracture in her foot that you know she'd been trying to heal unsuccessfully for 18 months just magically just healed itself you know and so yeah who, who knew huh. more people need to know <laughs> yeah
2: absolutely
0: so um while you're still in high school you conducted your own uh, molecular biology research uh, project which won numerous awards and you know got quite a bit of recognition stuff like that being raised to think critically you know how important has that been for you in your science career I know for me when I used to study physics you know um thinking critically is just it's it's It is like the pot of gold, you know, for it. So how has it been for you?
2: Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things I'm most grateful for is I feel like being raised vegan and having this experience where everything I sort of knew to be true from day one didn't necessarily match the mainstream media, what mainstream health officials, government, et cetera, were telling us. I knew sort of from day one, like... The what you hear out there may not be true, and therefore anything, like I, I look critically past everything and I don't just accept things at face value. So I feel like it's been incredibly beneficial. Um, and and I'm, I'm a huge fan of science, but real science, not corporate funded science uh, with a bias, uh, a huge uh, vested interest. So real critical thinking that asks questions and follows the scientific method, really wondering and seeing what the data really show. Um, and I think that is so important. And I think we need a whole lot more critical thinking, real critical thinking and uh, going on.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, definitely makes total sense. You know, I mean, after reading your story, I was thinking, I wish I'd been raised vegan. I wish I was raised to think this way. You know, I did take everything at at face value, you know, so, um, you know, better late than never, huh? (laughs) But um, for you, um, education has been such a fundamental part of your upbringing. And, um, you know, most parents don't tell the truth about the world we live in. Um, And I think, you know, we were talking about it yesterday that for the most part, that's because they don't know the truth either. So, um, you know, So, until recently, you yourself were a teacher of uh, chemistry and environmental science. What was it like for you there being vegan with like a captive audience, you know, knowing everything that you do about the state of the planet and what happens in the real world? um, Did you feel the need to sort of, you know, did you have to hold back at all when it came back to sharing things with your pupils? Well, I'm really lucky that the school, I was not working in
2: the public school system, it was actually a private high school. And they are very progressive and very concerned about environmental justice and sustainability. Um, they're not a vegan school, of course, not, not there yet. Um, but that was part of why I went to work for them in the first place. And they knew I was vegan when they hired me and knew I was passionate about climate justice and all of these things. Um, so that was really great. And they were generally very supportive And very quickly, all of my students knew I was vegan. Um, I think the first time, it was because I was wearing a vegan necklace. And someone read the word vegan and was like, are you vegan? I was like, yeah. Um, And then second time, I don't know. I mean, I I let it come up a lot. And the students all loved to ask questions. Um, And I, I answered their questions. Um, The thing that I've always been careful of, especially as an educator when I'm working with um, students that are minors, is I am never, I try not to tell them what to do or what is the right thing to do. So I answer questions about what I do. I share facts. I share science. I share information. um, But I'm never saying you have to do and that's kind of where I drew the line. So they all, you know, in environmental science, we got to watch. We watched Cowspiracy and had a discussion over it. Um, it fit quite well in the curriculum. There's a whole section about agriculture. And um, so we delve into the science and that chemistry. It's not quite directly as relevant. It's more like a side conversation when it comes up. But that's just kind of, that's how I I walked that line.
0: Oh, what a, what a brilliant way to do it. So you didn't have any problems with uh, as the kids' memes would say, you know, the the Karen, you know, like the mum coming in and like slapping her fist <laughs> out on the table, you know, how dare you teach my children this?
2: <laughs> no, I never had that. Um, I mean, there were other things that came up, not so much about what I was saying. It was more when there were situations that involved food and I didn't want to purchase things. That's where things were tricky. Um but never really had an issue with the parents or anything like that.
0: Oh, brilliant. So, um, so how important is it that, you know, the kids are made aware of the truth, you know, like um, I say, you know, you try and teach them right. Like, quite honestly. How important is that to you that we, we go straight with the truth?
2: Very important. I mean, that's how, I mean, if you, It's one thing to just not share information. It's another thing if you're actively, which is what our society is doing, is actively teaching children and adults alike propaganda that is misinformation and not factual. So then you're not just not sharing the truth, you're actually lying to children and adults in society. And I think that is wrong. And that at the very least, we should not be doing that But rather, we should be sharing the truth. And that is what our public health system should be doing. That is what our government officials should be doing. And so we have to work to change those systems as well to get that misinformation, to get dairy propaganda and campaigns out of schools, out of um, these environments, out of doctor's offices and things like that
1: yeah definitely um yeah it's such such a huge thing over here isn't it you know the dairy in schools and oh yeah it's just painful (laughs) you know hearing about your mum, she sounds like an incredible lady you know hearing your story i was just like yay what an awesome lady to do you know to just make that connection and you know i guess she was in a pretty powerful place to make that connection at the time but um you know growing up the, the way that you did with with parents that have always told you the truth you know um what are some of the most valuable lessons that they've taught you growing up um i mean <laughs> there's a lot
2: it's the biggest one again goes back to that critical thinking and really like i have grown up with a lesson of i don't just blindly trust authority i i question everything and i research things and this is something that i did try to teach my students as well um, and, like, even as a science teacher, I don't ever say, like, oh, believe the scientists or listen to the scientists. I think that everyone should look at the science for themselves because there's lots of different interpretations of the science. You can and, – and there's lots of different science out there funded by different organizations. So you can have a dairy scientist that's got all the credentials in the world um, – And I would rather that people actually go to the studies, go to the research, see who's funding them, look at the data for themselves, than just believe an authority figure that has credentials. Um, And that's one of the biggest lessons that I walked away with, is I do my own research, I look into things. um, And then the other is that we don't have to um, kill animals to live happy and healthy lives. Um, that's, that's a huge one. And (laughs) that's, uh, that's veganism, but I'm so grateful for those lessons. Um, and then, oh, I guess the, the other one that I think is really important is I being raised vegan, where not everyone around me was by any means really helped me understand that being different is okay. And that if we want a diverse society, especially with everything going on in our world, with uh, Black Lives Matter and social justice movements, to me, the issue isn't that um, there's difference. It's that difference isn't tolerated and that we would do a lot better if, and, and like, I did have kids that made fun of my food or weird, smelly, vegan stuff. And you know, but what that really taught me was everyone has differences. Like there's going to be kids that have allergies. There's going to be kids that have different religions, different family lives, different, I mean, and we need to be tolerant of all of those differences and embrace them rather than try and make everyone fit into a a certain box about how they have to be.
0: Well, that's brilliant. I love um, what you said in one of your YouTube videos about, you know, when raising kids, you know, if we keep to this structure of conformity and teaching them to be just like their peers and everyone around them how are we ever going to create change because everyone's the, the same thing so um yep. yeah so when you've grown up you attended many events and sort of demonstrations with your your family as well because it was it was a whole vegan life all all throughout when was it that you discovered your own independent voice you know to speak out on the issues you know mm-hmm
2: I mean, I think it's an ongoing process. (laughs) I don't think there's like one point in time. I've been doing activism and speaking out for as long as I remember, but I would really say college is where I kind of got into it. I mean, I'd always been into it for myself, but that's where I started reading books on animal rights theory. That's where I started trying different things, listening to different authors and speakers, Um, and figuring out what really made the most sense to me. Um, And that's also when I started a group um, on the college campus I went to that I led for three years and did vegan activism. And that was sort of the first time where I didn't have my parents there with the support and backup, and I I was doing it on my own. Um, So that's really when it started, but I think it's an ongoing journey. I'm always learning more. I'm always adjusting my thinking and continuing that.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, you're in huge demand as a speaker, we know. So, you know, it's, it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, we first discovered you earlier this year in the Climate Diet Summit, which was incredible. You know, we uh, just got into lockdown, hadn't we, when that started. And, you know, it was a brilliant and very productive way <laughs> to spend our time. So um, and you've been involved in, in countless amazing projects. Um, can you tell us about some of the ones that you've been a part of?
2: Um, So there's the Climate Diet Summit, there's my own sort of YouTube channel, there's a lot of, most of it's independent, um, and I have lots of ideas of future things, but one of the main places I've done a lot of stuff is a conference called Vegan Summerfest that I've been very involved in. Um, I grew up attending the conference, and now I speak at it, and it's five days, and there's a lot of great um, activists that come and talk there, um, and that's where some—that's where I've learned some of the most cutting-edge new science. Whether it's vegan nutrition, or we talk about lab-grown meat, or all these sorts of things. Um, other projects I've been involved in in the past—I worked with um, the nonprofit organization Tribe of Heart for a year. They produced *Peaceable Kingdom* and *The Witness*. Um, and I did international outreach and some translation coordination work with them, and that was really neat. Um, I tend to work very grassroots and individually with lots of people, rather than uh, any really large things.
0: Oh, brilliant! So, um, so. Recently, you've left the classroom with uh, everything happening with COVID and stuff like that, and you've you've started to take more of a focus on your activism via your YouTube channel, which we've sort of touched on briefly, you know. So it's called Born Vegan. It's um, from, well, I've been having an absolute binge the last couple of days, you know, Um, so you'll see my thumbs up on quite a few of them. But um, can you tell us, uh, for the viewers, you know, what your sort of channel focuses on?
2: Yeah, so it really started because... While I do know other lifelong vegans, I don't, I didn't know that many that were really into activism and sort of really owned it for themselves. It was more like, oh, I was raised this way. This is what our family does. I do other things in the world. Um, And so it really was motivated by I wanted to speak out and share with people what it's like to grow up vegan, that it's a really big blessing. It's not brainwashing or this horrible thing where you're deprived And it's to show just my perspective from that uh, life experience on everything vegan related. And so I'm planning to do a lot more. um, I'm going to start posting really regularly again now and planning to make a lot of videos on different topics, specifically on dairy, specifically on the environmental reasons for going vegan. A lot of the, it's going to be, if you want to learn more about veganism from a holistic perspective, so the, the ethical animal rights and environmental and health perspective, all from someone that has grown up this
1: way. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, we've really been enjoying your videos. And for anyone, you know, I think you're, you're so relatable to everyone, but particularly, you know, it's a great avenue for people, uh, you know, younger people to go to as well, because, you know, you're so sort of warm and, and just enthusiastic, you know, because being vegan is such a, a hugely positive thing. You know, it is an exciting thing. It's, it's great to be vegan, you know. So, um, yeah, it's it's brilliant. We'll, we'll certainly make sure that we uh, send all our viewers to, uh, to your channel. Um, one of the videos that we really liked was um, The Future is Vegan, How Social Change Happens. It's one of the really brilliant ones that uh, is on your YouTube channel. And um, in that video, you talk about everything from women getting the right to vote to doctors being told they have to wash their hands, um, and you know several more controversial histories and their origins. And um, these are all issues that we've previously had to fight for for years to achieve, You know, even though they make completely total sense. So um, how has it been for you watching the world change from a lifeline, lifetime even of, uh, of veganism? Yeah.
2: I mean, that's been really fascinating. I, I mean, it gives me so much hope because I've seen so much more change than even in the last five, 10 years than I honestly ever expected. Um, just, I mean, you know, I have a couple favorite stories I love to tell, but one of them, this happened just last year, I was on a plane getting ready to go to a vegan conference to speak actually. And I sit down on the plane next to someone And I just overhear this couple having a conversation about Beyond Meat. And they're like talking about like they need to purchase something and not like them individually, but it sounds like on a bigger level. And I'm like, oh, you know, are you guys vegan or something? And they're like, no, we just own a restaurant and everybody's got to have a vegan menu these days, you know, so we're trying to figure out what ours is going to be. And that's just not a conversation even five years ago that I would have dreamed of having by chance on an airplane. Just totally random. And I mean, I, I would have been shocked if like 10 years ago you had told me that's a conversation I would have overheard. Um, it has just changed so much in terms of the awareness, the knowledge about plant-based options, the number of companies providing um, plant-based foods to add to menus that are you know, going huge. And the number of people that identify as vegan or are at least eating a plant based diet has absolutely skyrocketed. And for example, like when I graduated high school, there I didn't know a single other vegan in the entire school. Four years later, when my sister graduated high school, she met about five. And since then, some students that are there today, it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, all these people are vegan. It's just like, you know and and i i would have been so excited to find a single vegan in when i was in high school um so it's changing so rapidly and i think we are a lot closer to pretty dramatic changes than we even
0: realize wow well, yeah there's a lot of hope out there then isn't there
2: <laughs> absolutely
0: but um with seeing all this positive stuff you must have heard about every silly argument there is against veganism you know and even for us you know we're coming up to four years now being vegan we've heard so many and we get frustrated with it like how do you deal with putting up with people after it you know for so long you know you've (laughs) you see people hitting their heads against the brick wall
2: (laughs) yeah I mean I just I try to remember that people are individuals and that's I, and I think growing up vegan actually has given me more ability to deal with it rather than just being sick of it. I recognize like I grew up vegan when no one around me was vegan, when everyone was saying those things. And today, lots of people, you've got veg fests in every city, you've got vegan meetups, you have Facebook groups, so much more support. And yeah, it can still be really easy to become so frustrated and just like, really um, but it's just I I'm pretty used to it and I have to remember that even if it's the you know 5,000th time that I've heard something for that person it might be the first time they're asking it and they don't know and so I just have to treat it as that's you know and and I've heard some really ridiculous things like I remember a friend in college um, who was a biology major we were talking or something, and she said something about, you know, but don't plants have feelings? And I looked at her and I said, okay, so let me ask you, do you think animals are more closely related to plants or to people? And she goes, oh, plants, of course. And I'm like, you're studying biology. Like, there's the animal kingdom Then there's the plant kingdom. Humans and animals are in the animal kingdom, you know. So, but that was her first time having that conversation. So I take it for what it is and discuss it, even though I may have heard
1: it thousands of times. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a new one (laughs) even on us. Yeah we got we got the desert island one didn't we yesterday and so um yeah yeah, that was the first time we'd actually had that but um but there's a few going around so um...
0: stop the podcast we'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to one of our partners the vegan review the vegan review is the ultimate digital platform for vegan news they strive to create unique informative and factual content for vegans and the vegan curious concerning animal welfare ethical consumerism sustainability and the wider vegan movement head on over to the vegan today now back to the podcast
1: i totally get what you mean about the you know the change like like gareth said you know we've been vegan coming up four years and for us it's been a huge explosion even here in new zealand of you know what is available now and i had that that moment like like you did on the plane just recently we were on a ferry going between the north and south island and i could hear the 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 staff in the bar um having a discussion about tofu and i was so excited i literally went up and i said are you vegan and they said yeah yeah so we started having this conversation about tofu and um we were sailing north and they were heading south and so we were able to have this wonderful conversation about um you know, where places to eat and that kind of thing. And it it was great. It was, I was just so excited because yeah, for a long time, the only vegans that we really met were on Facebook, you know, we, we didn't meet real life vegans. Um, but now, and also, you know, doing this series as well, we've realized that we are really not the minority that we think that we are sometimes, you know, when you think that you're fighting this losing battle and that we're just a few and we're not doing, you know, how are we ever going to get hurt? It's, It's brilliant to be doing this series, seeing how many people there are doing incredible things. Um, I love what you have on your um, website about the tipping point. Um, Would you be able to explain a bit about that? Yeah,
2: so the tipping point is basically, and it's an estimate, there's different social studies and, and social science suggesting different numbers, but it's kind of this idea that there's some percentage that when that, number of people, whether it's, you know, 10%, 15%, even 20%. um, But when that percent of people in society all strongly hold a belief that it creates a a tipping point where things quickly spiral and can create social change. And this is, I think that's really inspiring and really hopeful to realize like we don't actually need 80% of the world to go vegan to maybe have a vegan world. That it might only take 15% of the population really strongly believing that animals are not ours to use and that that will create all these systemic changes and and ripple effects. Um, So that's kind of the idea of the tipping point, that the number we really need is not anywhere as high as we think if the group of people all strongly hold a certain belief.
0: One of our questions sort of follows on from that, and that's about, you know, well, veganism is about shifting that paradigm to not exploit animals for any purpose, you know? And so every individual who becomes a full vegan, you know, a full ethical vegan uh, helps to do that. You know, how important is it that we get people to go vegan rather than just reducing their meat consumption, reducing the exploitation that they cause?
2: Yeah, so that's, and that's absolutely why it comes from that tipping point research. And the way I always think about it is, you know, there's some people that really are working more on, you know, just reducing the number of animals killed by people reducing meat consumption. But for me, if I had to choose between, say, 15% of the population becoming full ethical vegans versus having 90% of the population all reduce their meat consumption by, say, 90%, a lot of people would, you know, think that 90% is the better option because wow think about how much less meat we'd all be eating think about how many fewer animals would be killed like you're gonna you know that would do more than 15 percent of the population being vegan but i think we have to ask what our end goal is and that's where those differences really come in and if your end goal really is just to reduce the number of animals killed great then choose the meat reduction option but if your goal is to create a vegan world where animals are not used or killed or exploited for human purposes, then I think having fifteen percent of the population be full ethical vegans is a lot closer to that because then you're actually they might be that percent that can shift our species' paradigm to a vegan paradigm. And people reducing their meat consumption, no matter, even if you're reducing most of your meat consumption, if you still believe that it's okay to kill animals, then you're not part of that shifting paradigm. But I do also just want to say that I think there's a difference when we're talking about like reducing meat consumption at the systemic level to when you're dealing with an individual one-on-one. So if I'm dealing with someone in front of me and I'm t- talking to them about the problems with animal exploitation or the environmental problems, and they're like, or you know, even a personal friend saying, "Hey, guess what? I I only eat meat twice a week now, and I've been doing this," and then I'm not gonna just sit there and be like, "Oh no, that's no good." I'm gonna be supportive and continue encouraging them on that path. So I think there's that's a, a big distinction. Like I'm never gonna tell people to reduce their meat consumption. I'm going to tell people to go vegan and that that's what we want to achieve. But I also recognize that individuals are on a journey and that they might reduce meat consumption along the way to eventually going vegan.
0: What a brilliant answer.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a great way of looking at it. And, um, you know, like, I mean, in this world of political correctness, um, we're all taught to tiptoe around, you know, making judgments about others' actions, you know. Um, But at the same time, you know, here we all are, we're trying to fight social justice, ecological justice, animal injustice. Um, You know, how are we supposed to move forward and create change when we've been conditioned to sort of turn a blind eye or, or not, you know, talk about the realities of things for fear of causing offense, you know, especially in the case of uh, animal exploitation. So, you know, having been encouraged to speak out against these issues for all of your life, what do you find the best way of communicating? You probably just touched on it just before, but you know, is there anything that you would would add to that? Because I I hear people all the time and I, I have to really, in the case of vegetarians, you know, when, when people hear about animal cruelty and then I see people say, Oh, thank goodness I'm vegetarian. And I'm just like, yeah. Thank goodness. That's, you know, but so I, I need to move on from that or find a different way. Yeah. What, what are your tips of, uh, of, yeah, communicating effectively? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a big fan of the Socratic
2: method. And so the, the two things that sort of characterize my approach are one, I try to see every person in front of me and that I'm ever talking to as an individual. So I don't make assumptions about what their beliefs might be or what they care about or who they are as a person, um, no matter really what they're saying. If they're engaging with me, I'm going to listen and I'm going to try and really understand where they're coming from. Um, And then two is part of that is the Socratic method. It's asking questions to understand. And. I do a lot of street activism, a lot of talking to people. Um, I've done film screenings, a bunch of different things. And I always, for me, it's about trying to get to sort of the root issue of like, let's unpack what your beliefs are. Because one, I think most people actually agree with the basic idea of veganism. They agree that it's wrong to hurt animals unnecessarily. So I want to show them that that's their belief and their actions just aren't in alignment with that. But two, I don't think most people are actually anti-speciesist yet. Like, they might agree it's wrong to hurt animals unnecessarily, um, but I think they usually think animals are lesser than us somehow. And so I ask questions to get to the why. Um, so for example, when I was showing some footage, this was back in college again, and I had some people that were like, well, I agree factory farming is bad, but you know, small family backyard farming, like that's fine. And so I, I would basically ask, well, you know, why do you think it's okay to kill animals? Like, let's get right to it. Like you're basically saying it's okay to kill animals and not people. You recognize it's wrong not to kill people. And if they're like, well, because they're different than us. Okay, how are they different than us? And I I want to pin down, like, do you think it's their intelligence? Do you think it's their ability to feel pain? Like, what is it that makes it okay to kill animals for food and not people? And then if you, and a lot of times they can't name that thing, but if they can name the trait, then I try and reframe it and say, so if there was a human that had a lower intelligence, would that mean then it's okay to kill that human? So it's a combination of asking questions and then framing. Like framing is everything. So taking whatever they're saying and then drawing a comparison in some way. And I am very careful about the language I use. And I try not to. Um, and a really good example of this is the term, you know, animal slavery, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I avoid using that term, not because I don't think it's true, but because I think it will turn a lot of people off and they won't be able to hear what we're saying. So when there are terms like that, that people have expressed are problematic or that they they disagree with, I do try to find other terms just because I think that is more effective mainly in terms of, if I can say, oh, animals that are confined and imprisoned, and it means basically the same thing, but it's not gonna be that term where flags go off in their head and they're like, oh, you know, I'm not talking to these people anymore. Um, I, I try to do that as well. So that's, that's kind of my approach, asking questions, being understanding, and then drawing comparisons, um, You know, sort of reframing things in a, if that was a human, or let's take what you said and put it in this context does it stand that type of thing
0: well thank you that, yeah that's a brilliant answer i think we're gonna have to get and do a video special on the the socratic method because yeah. um we talked um recently to jerry carbstrong and he's another one who really uses that method and um yeah you, you when you see his videos you know you just watch it you, you can see the full steps of it yeah um but one video i really enjoyed on your channel was about uh talking about cultured meats or as as most of us know lab grown meats and i think it's a, a something a lot of us vegans know about well, well know of but they don't really know what it's about and you know a lot of us are told you know oh, as vegans we should be supporting this this cruelty-free method of of creating meat um to me, it just—it it just seems disgusting. But can you tell us a little bit about it? You know, just a little bit of uh, explain. Can you tell us a lot? Uh, can I just stumble some more? <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, yeah. Can you just explain a little bit about you know what what this um, lab-grown meat sort of is? You know, and why it's not vegan.
1: You can tell it's vegan because it's gone beetroot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, um,
2: and you're right, a lot of people are really pushing vegans to support this, which is one of the things that I I find problematic about this. And part of the reason I think that people are pushing it is because this is something that the large pharmaceutical and biotech companies have figured out sort of, you know, veganism wasn't popular when it's when there isn't a way that these corporations can capitalize on it. And I think lab grown meat has provided a way where the biotech companies can capitalize on this trend. So now it's being promoted and now it's being pushed on vegans and in the vegan community. And these biotech companies are acting like they suddenly support, you know, animal rights or something, or using less animals, even though, like when you've been criticizing them for animal experimentation for years, you know they said nothing or, you know, continued doing it. So I think that's important to like, and and that's another follow the money thing, like who really stands to profit off of this? Um, But the reason it's not vegan is because as it stands right now, and this is also a rapidly changing science and technology. um, And so we do kind of need to stay update. And I, I haven't checked, you know, in the last couple months or so on what new progress there is. But the main way that it's being made uh, involves regularly taking biopsies from animals. And the technology is not there yet to create these supposed immortal cell lines where you don't have to take tissue from animals again, but you take it once, now you just grow it in a lab indefinitely, and you produce all the meat you want from that. That's sort of what some people are putting forth as their end goal um but we are really nowhere near that or nowhere near scaling it up so in the meantime there are lots of scientists that are repeatedly taking tissue and flesh and cells from different kinds of animals and they're claiming oh well it's just a small biopsy but that's still animal experimentation that's still animal exploitation and then the main way that most of these cells are grown um are in a growth medium that uses something called fetal bovine serum and fetal bovine serum is basically blood from baby cows and the way they get it is extremely gruesome and that is and and i say this as someone who worked with human cancer cell lines in a lab um like that's that is the standard and it's you know they get it as a sort of a byproduct from slaughterhouses it's everywhere in labs even a non-animal testing lab that i once worked in um They use slaughterhouse byproducts and fetal bovine serum and um, antibodies extracted from animals. Like in so much of molecular biology and cell biology, you have animal products at like so many different stages. And I know that they are working to to change that. There are people working on trying to find plant-based growth mediums, but we're not there yet. And so in the name of some future goal... We are currently exploiting animals. Um, and so that's in a nutshell, that's why it's not vegan. There is a basis for maybe someday it will be. Um, but then the idea is if if our goal is to really again overturn speciesism doesn't suddenly saying, "Oh, well, let's still keep eating animal tissue and animal flesh even if it's grown in the lab, doesn't that kind of undermine our our idea that like we don't need?" animals. We don't need to exploit them. We don't need meat, which is what vegans have been saying for years. And now we're like, actually, maybe we do need it. We're just going to provide it a different way. Um, So I think that's kind of a little bit mixed messaging and might be undermining some of what we're trying to
0: achieve. Yeah, I really advise um, people going like, yeah, check out that video because you've got like a full 45 minute talk and plus like a shorter one as well on it. And one of the things that I really, um, really hit me as well was how you talked about uh, the meat and meat and sort of dairy sort of industry as well sort of saying you know yeah let's get back this because then we've got a competitor to our product and no one's going to want to eat this lab stuff because it's you know it's gmo we're already so worried about that so in fact by supporting this yeah the, this product they're trying to push at us vegans you know we're actually supporting them in, in a, a more subversive sort of way
2: absolutely yeah
1: yeah, definitely. No, it was really interesting because, yeah, I mean, you know, as, as vegans, you want to get behind things and think, yeah, you're helping to create change. And although I'm, I've never been one for having imitation meat products, you know, I'll always just mash up some beans and make something out of that instead. But, you know, as, as a concept, you kind of think, oh, yeah, well, that's cool. You know, that's something we should probably be supporting. But then when you find out the real procedure, it's like, hang on, if I'm vegan, I don't even want a cell from an animal, you know, like that's not being vegan. Eating animal cells is not Vegan. So, yeah, it's, it's really good and it's another great, uh, you know, explanation of why we really need to ask those questions and be informed and, and do our research. Um, for me, um, it was a bit more light-hearted in comparison, um, but I loved your video with uh, the wonderful Dr. Michael Greger. He is a, a huge favorite and um, particularly the part I love is when you ask him if it's safe for parents to raise their children on a vegan diet. And he he replies, it's not safe for them not to raise them on a vegan diet, which I think is perfect. Um, And, you know, it's a great um, example of the diversity of content that you have on on your YouTube channel, Born Vegan. Um, You've got so much great information on there, um, especially, you know, for for parents who are looking to to raise their children vegan or, yeah, just need a little bit of um, advice and support. Have you got any other suggested videos um, that people should be checking out?
2: Um, I mean, I'd also recommend the video I have. I think it's why I didn't fail on a, or why I haven't failed as a vegan. Um, And that's kind of where I talk about all of the societal pressures that parents face. And that if you're not conscious about it, you might not even realize that that's what is causing you to think the way you are and I share some examples of how like when I did you know have my arm pulled out of socket or something happened that my parents you know when they didn't know as many people that had been you know raised vegan even though they thought at that time the science still said vegan diets were healthy they were still nervous and so their you know immediate thought would be oh no is it you know her weak bones because we're feeding her vegan and that's just that's the reality when you're doing something that is so different than everyone else in society that's different than the mainstream advice that's different than what doctors are telling you and so if you're not really careful and conscious that that's what's happening when you start thinking that way then it can be all too easy to fall prey to that um and uh you know there's Every so often, I think there was another one recently—a you know why I'm not vegan anymore video that comes out. Um, and one of them in the last week or two, I think, was someone saying they didn't feel comfortable raising their kids that way. They're afraid they aren't getting enough nutrients or whatever. And that's where I want to say, if you know the science and you know this, like what? There, that's a fear. That's that's a psychological fear. That's society. That's the propaganda getting to you and we have to be aware of that and we have to help parents be aware of that so that because i think once you recognize it for what it is then it's easier to say oh that's where those fears are coming from that's what that is i'm not going to i'm not going to let that get to me but if you don't recognize it for that it's way too easy to just go with it and like fall off the wagon and 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 think you really are you know there's i'm doing something
1: wrong here so i'd recommend that video yeah, yeah, we watched that one, didn't we? Yeah. That was a good one. And it's it's so true, you know, it just makes you cringe when that happens. And, you know, it's like, look at what Dr. Gregor and the Dr. Clappers of the World and, and the Dr. Campbell's, they're all fighting to get this information out there so that you you know, you've got this this knowledge that is, you know, indisputable. Um, why do you feel the need to do that when we've got all this information getting out there? It's just, yeah, beyond belief. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um- so are there any other activists or, or even you know, doctors who inspire you?
2: Um, I mean, there's a lot of them. And I must say, I, I tend to really like grassroots activists. And the, the people that really inspire me are people like you guys, people in their own community that are doing what they can. They are the, the school teachers that are working slowly to veganize their own classroom or their administration. And I think those people don't get enough um, recognition because we really like to hold up heroes and big names. And, and like there are lots of inspiring people that are leaders. Um, but this has to be a grassroots movement and this has to come down to the people as well. Um, and so I, I love seeing what individuals in their own workplace, in their own school, in their own company, are doing uh in their little community because there's people that are making huge impacts and and change just locally that we don't hear about that we don't see or know about um and i
1: love that
0: yeah oh well well, thank you and um yeah we feel very much the same because the thing is the machine doesn't work without the smallest cogs you know every part of it you know all brings it together and yeah there's so many and hopefully um Hopefully we're going to have quite a few of those on there. Like um, we've got a, another speaker coming up during the show who turns um, the island of Aruba um, almost vegan, you know, like with all uh-huh. making, making sure there's options everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. and just someone doing that in their community. It's just wonderful.
1: I, um, I love to see it really made me smile yesterday. Um, um, seeing you being interviewed by um, a, a young lady called Olivia, Um, and I think she's been doing her YouTube, um, activism since she was, what, 10 years old? Uh, Olivia Sampson? Yes.
2: Yes, yes. Um, I think, I'm not exactly sure when she started her YouTube channel, maybe, but she's also another lifelong
1: vegan. Yeah. It's
2: fantastic.
1: It's, you know, seeing interviews like that, it really gives you hope for the future. And, you know, we were saying yesterday, every vegan child that we've met, um, they're just so switched on, they are so switched on, and they do ask those questions, and they do have that, that truth, I mean, you know, we, um, we even came across a family the other day, who um, they sat with their daughter, and and, um, watched Dominion with her at five years old, and you know, they said, look, we're going to support you through this, But, but she asked the questions, she wanted to know, you know, so they said, okay, well, if you want us to stop at any stage, but it, yeah, she's got that information and she's, you know, she's never going to go against that now because she's got it. She knows, you know, so it's, um, it's fantastic, you know, really looking forward to seeing more young activists, uh, coming out as well. Um, we've spoken about your YouTube channel, Born Vegan. Um, uh, where else can our viewers follow you for more information, updates and in goodies? Um, so I'm also
2: on Facebook at Born Vegan and Instagram uh, I think it's Serena Farb now. I think I, yeah, Serena Farb there, born vegan on Facebook and my website is bornvegan.org. Um, and you can sign up for my email list there as well.
0: Oh, brilliant. Um, are there any other projects that uh, you're currently working on or any other projects you want to give a, give a mention to whilst we're here?
2: Um, I have a lot I'm working on, but none at a stage where, um, I, uh, am ready to tell people about them, but
0: Oh, no worries. Um, we'll, we'll have to keep up to date. updated.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely. No, we will do that. Well, yeah, I guess that's another reason that, you know, you're not in the classroom now. You've, you've obviously got uh, plenty in the pipeline, and that's it, really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I know with, uh, with you and Alison doing the Climate Diet Summit, you know, I guess that was something with the whole COVID thing that you weren't, um, weren't anticipating for it to be like it was. Is that right? I remember, you know, it wasn't going to be yeah. a virtual thing at that stage knew no, it was it was okay. we we had been
2: planning it as virtual for a long time um, but we just pushed it back because when the covid thing hit we weren't sure you know it's crisis mode is anybody really gonna pay attention to the climate crisis when you know we're in a pandemic um, so that kind of but it it was um we had planned it to be a virtual summit long before that so luckily yeah yeah I, I I'm very grateful for that, too, that that was just a happy coincidence that that was not an in-person event and we didn't have to scramble and try and change that at the last
1: minute. So,
0: Brilliant. We
1: we really enjoyed that. Is it going to be any more? Are you not allowed to say that yet? Possibly. I mean, we are. Yeah,
2: I'd say there's a good chance we will um, do more with that in the future for sure. Um, maybe rerun that. Maybe uh, bring in some new speakers
1: and do one next year. Make it an annual thing. Nothing's set yet. Oh, that would be awesome. We we learned so much and yeah, really enjoyed it. So thank you to both you and Alison for bringing that uh, to everybody. And thank you for being such a brilliant role model in, in everything that you do. You know, it's it's fantastic to finally meet a lifelong vegan. And you know, I can't turn back the clock, but. <laughs> you know there's there's so many positives to raising your children vegan and um you know i think a lot of parents who are raising you know vegan children can can learn so much from you and just be so inspired and encouraged from how you've turned out for want of a better expression
0: and i think also oh, you know thank you i think also for the the kids growing up you know it, vegan just having you as a role model to look up to you know it, it's just wonderful and um yeah you're, you're amazing. You're doing amazing things, and I, I really hope you know, um, yeah, things just keep getting bigger and better, and you can get your message out there to more people because um, we need more role models like you.
1: Keep working towards the tipping point. Now I know what it is, so yeah, now I've got I've got another goal to work towards. It's a great one. <laughs> well, thank you, and thank
2: you both of you for what you're doing. This is very cool, and uh, keep up the good work.
0: Thank you for listening to this interview. We hope that you found it informative and entertaining. To learn more about Serena's work, check out bornvegan.org. Once again, be sure to follow us on our social media platforms for future episodes. This has been Vegan FTA, vegan for the animals.